Good morning, Great Oaks. Thanks for being here in person. Thanks for joining us online as well. We do have an online host that would love to interact with you. Uh, If you can't be with us in person ever, uh, be sure to let them know that. And uh, you can ask questions during the service. You can um, send in prayer requests, all that kind of stuff. Um, Before I get into the message, uh, first of all, my name is Chris Genders. If you don't know me, I work for Youth for Christ, uh, one of our kingdom builders that Great Oaks supports. And so it's a privilege to preach here periodically. And um, I, I just, the baptisms and the announcement about the missions trip just kind of struck me this morning. Um, there are some moments that God uses in ways that, that are just unique. And, and, you know, sometimes we refer to them as pivotal uh, moments in people's lives. And you heard in both of those baptisms uh, testimonies, the death of a loved one um, caused them to consider their own mortality and eternity. And, and I think we all know that. We all experience that when we go to funerals and and all that. It's one of the few moments where we stop and we go, okay, I'm, I am going to die someday, and what do I do with that? And, um, you know, missions trips, if you've never gone on a missions trip, whether domestic or international, what an incredible experience. I've gone on numerous over the, the years of ministry, and uh, I'm super excited about both DR and then you heard us announce Tulsa, and so if you're not quite ready for an international trip, we're still uh, taking uh, um, applications for the Tulsa, Oklahoma missions trip this summer. Um, but talk to Daniel about uh, Tulsa. Talk to Chase, I think, I'm assuming, um, about the Dominican Republic trip. But um, take that step. If you've never done it, it it'll be a life-changing experience for you. Um, I promise you. So, All right, so we are in week two of a series called I Am. You might have noticed that from the stage, from the songs that we're singing, right? And uh, we're looking at seven I Am statements that Jesus makes about himself in the Gospel of John. We hear a lot of people talk about Jesus, but we wanted to dive into what is it that Jesus said about himself. And so last week, Paul, our discipleship pastor, started us off and And he talked about the moment when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If you weren't here, go back and listen to that. And I love that Paul took us back to the Old Testament. He he took us to the time when the Israelites, the nation of Israel, were wandering in the wilderness. And and God provided manna, which literally in Hebrew means, what is this? Like, they didn't even know what it was. It's nothing fancy. There's no theological definition of manna. It's literally, they walk out one morning and they're like, frosted flakes covering the ground. Like, who can't be happy about that, right? And they're like, what? what is this, right? And so I love that he took us there, because I don't know if you realize this, but if you want to understand the New Testament, you have to understand the Old Testament. You just have to. And, and in fact, when you go throughout Scripture, there's numerous themes that we see repeated over and over and over. And, and three of those themes we pick up early in the Old Testament. And I created a graphic here for it just to illustrate it. So uh, we have the Garden, the Garden of Eden, right? Uh, God has created everything there. And, and then we have this wilderness experience. And that's where Paul took us to last week with the, the uh, Exodus time in the, in the desert. Um, and then we have the promised land. And, you know, as they're traveling for 40 years, if you don't know the story, as the nation of Israel is traveling for 40 years through the wilderness, they always have this promised land ahead of them. And the reality is, is we do as well today. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later on this morning. Uh, but Paul took us to the wilderness, the desert. I want to I rewind the story a little bit because I, I, th- I think there's more to these statements that Jesus is making when he says, I am the bread of life, you know, or these other things. I am, I, I think, I believe, is more than just a subject verb moment. If, if I was a better English student, I would know exactly what am is as far as a type of verb. I don't think it's an adverb, it's something else, helping verb, who knows what, but... But I think there's something more than just Jesus 
using language in this moment. I, th- I think there's more when he says, I am. Maybe you know the story of Moses, maybe from, you know, DreamWorks, Prince of Egypt. You watch that, you know, sometime as a kid or with your kids, and maybe you know the Old Testament. Maybe you don't. So Moses, the nation of Israel, has been um, in captivity in the nation of Egypt for years, years, centuries, and they've grown to be a million strong. And, and because they're growing so big, um, Pharaoh, a new Pharaoh, says, whoa, hold up. These Israelites are getting out of control. There's too many of them. Like, what happens if, if they rise up against us? And so he, he declares to the Hebrew midwives, he said, every male who's born, kill him. And the Hebrew midwives, they won't obey God. They don't want to obey Pharaoh. And so, so they find excuses to not do this. And Moses is one of those babies that's born. And uh, his mother, you know, raises him briefly, but then realizes, like, I can't hide a baby from, from Egypt. And, and so she puts him in a basket and puts him down the river. Is this story sounding a, a little familiar, maybe? And ends up, miraculously, Pharaoh's daughter finds baby Moses and decides to raise him, knowing that he's one of the Hebrew babies, an Israelite baby. And so Moses is raised in the, the, the palace. He's given all the, the best things and food and clothing and education and training and all this stuff. And, and so for almost 40 years, he's raised um, under the, 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 the roof of Pharaoh. But then God is stirring in his heart. And he, he knows that he's a Hebrew. He knows he's an Israelite. And, and he, he's watching his people be enslaved for decades and one day he's out there and, and he, he sees an Egyptian slave master, you know, beating an Israelite slave. And, and Moses does one of these. Looks around, doesn't see anybody, and kills the Egyptian and sets the Israelite free. Well, thinking he did a good thing, you know, the next day he's with some of the Israelites and uh, two of them, just two Hebrews are fighting and he goes to intervene. And, and they say, hey, what are you going to do? Kill one of us like you did yesterday to the Egyptian? And all of a sudden Moses is terrified. And he's like, I, I was discovered. And there was nobody around, but I was discovered. So he flees to the wilderness. He goes off for 40 years to become a shepherd. It went from living in the palace to living out in the desert with farm animals, right? Quite the demotion. And yet, it's, it's what God needed to do in him. And so one day, Moses is out, and he's tending to the, the sheep and he sees off in the, the distance this bush that seems to be on fire, but it's not being consumed. And he's obviously never seen this before. He's, he's curious, like, why is there something burning, but the wood is not being consumed? And so he starts to walk over towards it, and all of a sudden, God speaks to him out of the bush. And he, you know, it's this moment of take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. And God says to Moses, I, I want you to go set my, free pe- my people free. He says, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to go back to Pharaoh. And Moses knows empire. Moses knows Egypt. And he's terrified. He's like, I can't go do that. He says, I'm not a I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not good, good speaker. I can't go. I'm not strong enough. Like, nobody's going to listen to me. And, and besides, like, look, look at verse 13 in chapter 3. He says, if I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What's your name, God? What should I tell him? This is a bold question for Moses. I mean, this, this is audacity. What God are you? 
Like, who are you exactly? Because in Egypt, there's like multiple gods. In fact, there's 10. If you fast forward the story a little bit, God's going to fight 10 gods through the plagues. He's going to defeat all of the gods of Egypt. And Moses is like, okay, I know you're not one of the Egyptian gods, but, but which god are you? And God answers him. I love that. God, I, don't, I, don't know why, I, don't know, I don't know why God did this, but he says to Moses, I am who I am. That's profound, right? You can laugh at that because it doesn't feel very profound. And he says, this is, what you're, this is what you're saying to the Israelites. I am has sent you. Some translations say, I am that I am. Or if you change the emphasis on that, I am that I am. I, I'm, I'm the original. I'm not a God. I'm not one of, of many gods. I'm not a God of, of, of my own making or of your own making, but I am that God. Before the world began, God says, I am. Creator of all things. Theologians would say he's the first cause. Pop culture would say he's the OG. Basketball players today say he is him. I don't understand that, but it's, it's the thing they're saying, right? God is saying, I am the first. I'm the greatest. I'm beyond comprehension. And here's the thing. If, when we really begin to understand God, we begin to understand that we can't understand God. But we try, don't we? God made man in his image. God made us in his image. And ever since, we've been trying to make God in our image. It just doesn't work that way. And, and in our culture today, with, with hyper-personalization of social media, right, you can make God whatever you want him to be. Uh, you click on a few things, a few videos, and you, you may not question it against scripture, but, but all of a sudden your, your feed is just getting you know, filled with these videos and, and you know, memes and all these things about who you think God is. We create this echo chamber without actually going to the word. Friends, we have to allow God to be God. One of my professors in college was famous for saying these words, God's God and I'm Bob. And he just, he just knew. He understood. And so when Jesus makes this statement of I am the bread of life, I am what we're going to talk about today, it's a declaration of divinity. He's saying I am that God, the original, the one above all others, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, one that says that Paul says in Philippians 2 that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in heaven and on earth that Jesus is king. That is who I am, Jesus is saying. You know, at Youth for Christ, we have this retreat. Forgive me for a second. We have this retreat that all new employees go on called One Heart. And there's a moment at the end of these two or three days together where we take communion as a group. And we do it in a really kind of unique way, and I really love it. Um, before we, we take the bread and the juice, we tell stories about Jesus. But we tell them in such a way that as, as if we were there, right? Almost like we were sitting around with our best friends and talking about our glory days back in high school, right? <laughs> you remember that time that we did this? Remember that time that, that you just said that? Remember that time you got a detention for that? We do this with Jesus. We sit around in these, these one-heart retreats, and we're like, you remember that time that, that Jesus made a lame man, lame man walk? Oh, that was incredible. 
Remember, remember that time that he made a, a deaf guy hear? Can you imagine what it must have been like for that guy? Like, that was crazy to watch. Remember that time that Jesus fell asleep in the boat in the middle of the storm, and we were all freaking out because, like, we thought we were going to die, and Jesus just snoring away there, and we wake him up, and he's like, dudes, why are you so concerned? And he, like, tells the storm to calm. You remember that? That was amazing. Remember that, remember that time he walked on water and we thought he was a ghost? Like, whoo, Peter, you, you, whoo, you know, I don't want to tell you what happened to you, Peter, but you got really scared there for a second. Remember that day he stole that kid's lunch and fed 5,000 men plus all the women and children there? Like, what did that, what was that kid thinking that day, right? But he just robbed him from lunch. And he did the same thing like a week later with like 4,000 people. You remember that time when that crowd of religious leaders brought that woman caught in adultery? And they wanted to stone her, kill her. What did Jesus do? You remember what he did? He like knelt down in the sand and I remember what he was writing, but man, everybody turned away pretty quickly and he forgave her. He forgave her. Who does that? Remember that time he, I mean, he did this a lot. Remember that, those times that he, he ticked off the religious leaders by eating with notorious sinners and tax collectors? Man, Jesus could have gotten under the skin of those religious leaders, couldn't he? Remember that time? Oh, I'll never forget. Remember that time when he brought that one guy back to life? Remember that time when he came back to life? I'll never forget that one. Remember that time that Jesus healed a blind man by hawking a louie, <laughs> spitting in the dirt, like making a mud pie and smeared it on the guy's face? You remember that? Oh, that was crazy. You don't remember that? Oh, he was, we were walking along one day, and we, and we come up on this guy. He's, he's blind. And I remember we asked him, we're like, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his father, that, or this man or his parents, that he was born blind, Right? And Jesus is like, no, 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 neither he nor his parents sinned. This, this happened for God's glory. And, and he says, you know, you, you got to watch out because it's nighttime. But he said these words. I don't know if you remember these words. He says, I am the light of the world. And then he hocked that loogie, made the mud, and he told the guy to go wash. Oh, the guy came back and he could see. I mean, I have so many questions about that moment. Like, okay, let's start with the question, who sinned, this man or his parents? That they was born? Really? That's a dumb question. Like, why would you ask him that, Jesus? Of course, blindness isn't caused by sin in the womb or his parents' sin. Like, nobody thinks that, really? So when you and I are going through hard times, do we not sometimes think that we must have done something to make God angry with us? Because he's not answering our prayers? Hmm. Maybe we still ask that question today. What did that guy think? Here's a question. What did that guy think? I, he's, he's standing there. He can't see, but he can hear, right? Like his hearing is fine. It's tuned in, and he hears. And he's like, I don't know what's about to happen, right? And then he feels something moist on his face. I apologize for all of you who don't like the word moist. Um, but he feels something rubbed on his face. Did he, did he know? Like, did he, did he know? Did Jesus say, I just spit it in the, and made this? No, I think he just did it. And the guy's like, was that what I think it was? 
And he goes off and he, see, he washes, he gets to see. I mean, I have so many questions. I don't understand God. In moments like these, I just prove it. I don't understand God. You know what else I don't understand? I don't understand how airplanes work. I just don't. Like, I went to a conference in Orlando a couple weeks ago, and we get in this giant metal tube that weighs more than a building, and somehow we take off of Earth, and we fly to another state, and we land. And Like, years ago, I read a book by David McCall. He's one of my favorite historical authors. He wrote a book about the Wright brothers. And as I read that book, I was, I was overwhelmed thinking about there was once a time in our world when people didn't understand flights. This would have been miraculous to see. A glider taking off of a, a dune in Kitty Hawk. As I read this book, crowds were gathering just to watch the Wright brothers fly for five minutes in the air. And it was astounding. Like, I, I can't even imagine that world. I, you know what I can't imagine? I can't imagine a world without lights, without the light bulb. Thomas Edison, you know, invented the light bulb in 1879. I'm sure there were, there were some other people that went before him as well to help pave that way. But, but before all of their combined efforts, this world was a much darker place. It's a little eerie when the lights go out, isn't it? It's like when you're at home and there's a storm and you kind of, Think it's coming. Some of you maybe hope it's coming, right? Life's power is going to go out. I remember a long time ago, I was on a, a backpacking trip. It was a guided trip and uh, didn't know exactly what was going to happen over the course of the week. But one night, they, they took us and we slept underground in this cave. I've told this story at length before, but there was a moment, you know, I mean, we're just, it's pitch black, like so dark. This is actually bright as day compared to that cave. I was putting my hand in front of my face, and I could not see a thing. And then one of our people turned on a flashlight. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, there's light. We all understand the power of light. The sun rising in the morning. The illumination of a single candle in the dark. The power of a spotlight on a stage. We understand the power of light. Like a moth drawn to a flame, we gravitate towards light in the midst of darkness. You know, throughout Scripture, light and darkness are constant themes. In creation, light brings order out of chaos. In the wilderness, the nation of Israel was guided at night by a pillar of fire. Isaiah uses light and darkness as metaphors for good and evil. Light drives away darkness when the angels announce the birth of Jesus to those sleepy shepherds. Uh, the Apostle Paul in his theological work, Romans, uh, contrasts light and darkness as descriptions of the nature of man wrestling with doing the right thing versus doing the wrong thing. Heaven is described as a place full of light and life, and while hell is written as, described as a place of darkness and isolation. Of course, the, the ultimate demonstration of light over darkness that we find in Scripture is Jesus. Jesus said again in John 8, rewind Scripture, the Gospel of John, a little bit. He says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I, pay attention to those words, follow me. Because you need to follow Jesus, not me. Not Jason, not any other pastor, 
not any other Christian celebrity or Christian author or Christian podcaster. You need to follow Jesus. Learn from people like us, but test everything we say against Scripture because we're human. We are not that God, right? So follow Jesus. He is the light of the world. Listen to, to what John writes at the beginning of the gospel. He says, in the beginning, the word already existed, this, the word being Jesus. So in the beginning, Jesus, let's do this. In the beginning, Jesus already existed. Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. From the very beginning, Jesus was with God. Through him, Jesus, God made all things. Not one thing in all creation was made without him. Jesus was the source of life, and this life brought light to people. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has never put it out. Some translations say the darkness has not overcome it. Light drives away darkness. Light brings comfort. Light brings life. You see, Jesus came to give new life to those in hopeless situations. Think about the, the man born blind. He was in a pretty hopeless situation. He couldn't heal himself. He couldn't restore his own sight. He was blind since birth. We know that because uh, later on, if you fast forward that story, um, he's called before the religious leaders and then they don't believe that he was really blind. So they call in his parents and they're like, is this really your kid? And they're like, uh, 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 he's an adult, ask him. Like they were terrified of the religious leaders, right? So we know that he's an adult. So we've been blind. We don't know how long exactly, but he's not a kid. He's been blind for some time. And and he could not fix himself. He was in a a hopeless situation. And some of you are there today. You wish are. Your health is declining. Your friends have abandoned you. You've lost your job. Your marriage has fallen apart. Your kids are out of control. Anxiety is overwhelming you. You're losing the battle to addiction. You feel all alone isolated, forgotten. Friends, these are the very places that God wants to meet you. Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. I I love the the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. It's everybody's favorite book of the Bible, right? We did a series years ago here on, it's only three chapters. It's a short but powerful story. It's the story about um, God is going to punish the nation of Israel, his own chosen people, and he's going to use a foreign nation, the Assyrians, to do it. And Habakkuk is a prophet, and he learns that God is going to use this foreign pagan you know, evil nation to punish his own people. And he's like, God, what's up? Why, why would you do that? And God provides answers, probably not adequate enough answers, but they're enough for Habakkuk to say these words uh, in chapter 3. He says, though the fig tree does not bud, there's no fruit on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, remember it's an agrarian culture, they've lost everything. They're going to lose everything and there's nothing that God is going to do to stop it. But Habakkuk's response, despite knowing that, he says, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer enables me to walk on mountain heights. Some of you are going through difficult seasons of life, and it seems like your prayers are just being unanswered. They're hitting the ceiling. It seems like there's no hope for you that God is silent, and yet I want to tell you that nothing is further from the truth. 
God is seeking you out like Jesus sought out this blind man. The the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in the the deepest, darkest places of your mind and soul. God is listening. He wants nothing more than to have you run to him and and to his people. You are not alone. I'm not promising you that life will suddenly get better when you turn to Jesus. I have a coworker. We were talking about our testimony stories the other day, and she said, you know, my pastor, when I said yes to Jesus, told me, like, it's actually going to get harder. Because it's hard to follow Jesus in this world. And Jesus doesn't always answer your prayers the way you want them to be answered. He doesn't always cure the cancer. He doesn't always take away the pain and the loneliness. He just doesn't do things the way that we think he should at times. And yet remember the garden, the wilderness, and the promised land. Friends, we're in the wilderness right now. We haven't yet achieved the promised land. That's in the future. That's when Jesus comes back and restores us as humanity and this world back to the garden, to the way he originally intended it to be. So we have to live in the wilderness with a promised land mindset. We have to live in the wilderness in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our unanswered prayers, with a belief and a hope and a trust in what God has promised us, maybe beyond death. Some of you know that about a year or two years ago, I had a heart condition kind of unexpected, came out of nowhere, had a, a small procedure done, an ablation, fixed me, it was amazing, medicine is, doctors, nurses, all the hospital, oh, incredible, I love it, they are miracle workers, but I, I remember a few nights after that, I was sitting at home, and Karen's already up in, in bed, and I'm watching some TV, and my heart's doing like weird things, it, just, it was just weird, I didn't expect it, I thought, you, I thought they fixed me, And I remember texting Karen upstairs, because I'm lazy, and (laughs) I just said, hey, be ready. Like, may not fall asleep. Like, you may need to take me to the hospital or call 911. I don't know if I'm having a heart attack. I don't know what's going on, right? And she didn't answer. Um, (laughs) I think she was already asleep. But no, she did. She did. She said she'd take me. But it kind of settled down, but not all the way. And I remember going to sleep that night. I remember going to sleep that night and going, I may not wake up. And I'm okay with that. Because this world, this wilderness is not all there is. There's a promised land beyond death for those who follow Jesus. Jesus wants to meet you in your hopeless situation and give you the hope of the promised land. Jesus also dispels the darkness of ignorance and sin. Think back again to the blind man. He, he thought his greatest need was to be healed physically, but what he didn't understand was his greatest need was a savior. He, he needed to be healed spiritually. I, I love what Psalm writes about Jesus. It says that your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. The scriptures, Jesus is that light. And, and like my experience in the cave, I need Jesus to shine a light on my path. We have to accept our spiritual blindness We have to ask God to open our eyes. We can't do it ourselves. We need Jesus to do it for us. Some of you are here today, and and like me, you have said yes to Jesus, but you have lost your sense of awe. Jesus and church and scripture and prayer and Bible study and all of these things have become so commonplace to you, so routine, so normal, that you've lost your sense of awe. You've got spiritual amnesia because you forgot how amazing God is. I know I've been there. I have moments where that still today. You need to be reminded that, that you need somebody to take away your spiritual blindness all the time. Not just once, but every day. Some of you are here today and you're spiritually blind. You don't even know it. 
You don't even know it. Like the Holy Spirit has drawn you here for some reason today, maybe it's for this moment, to hear that you can't fix yourself. I mean, you're, maybe it's because you're not even thinking about the things of eternity. You're just going to work and you've got your family and you've got your friends and your hobbies and, and, and you never even think about your own mortality. Maybe you need to go to a few more funerals and, and be reminded of that. Some of you are, are here today and you're spiritually blind, but you are trying to fix yourself. You think being good enough is going to save you, that, that going to church is going to save you, that reading the Bible, that serving, that giving, that all of these things that, that we're called to do as followers of Jesus, you, you think that that's going to earn your, your way into heaven, that's going to cure your spiritual blindness, and it's not. You're, you're sitting there, and, and you're spitting into the mud, and you're trying to make you know, a salve for your eyes to heal yourself, and the whole time Jesus, the creator of both the spit and the mud, is sitting there going, let me do this for you. I know what I'm doing. Friends, the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of all of our hearts, no matter where you are with Jesus. Will you let him do his work? Lastly, Jesus compels us, if we know him, if we've said yes to Jesus, Jesus compels us to be a light for others. There's an interesting moment in that story of the blind man. He's called back before the religious leaders. He's already testified He's called back, and, and they're like, tell us again about this guy, this, what he did, and how did he do this? And, 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 and the guy gets bold, and he, he says to the religious leaders, he goes, do you guys want to follow Jesus too? Like, you, you probably should. Like, you're kind of spiritually blind. Like, he can probably help you as well. And that, then, you know, you want to tick off some people. The religious leaders kick him out. They're like, get out of here. We want nothing to do with you. And he encounters Jesus again. But some of us, if we know Jesus, we're... Not some of us, all of us, if we know Jesus. He's calling us to be a light in the world. I love what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Friends, God calls us. If we claim Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he calls us to live differently in this world, to be a beacon of light in this dark world. And it's not easy. It's, it's not. It's going to cost you. We help students at YFC camp understand this, that we have this night where they, they say yes to Jesus, but we, we include in there, man, this is going to cost you. It, it may cost you friendships. It may cost you reputation. It may cost you your time. It may cost you who knows what. But there is a cost to following Jesus. Jesus himself said that. But he wants us to go be the light because light contrasts darkness. Light challenges darkness. And when you begin to surrender your life to Jesus, your friends may not understand what you're doing. The world will not align with your faith. It's just not. It's not going to. You're going to be faced with challenging moments as you begin to shape your life around the word of God rather than shaping the word of God around your opinion, and your life. You see, we live in this upside-down kingdom where a, a stuttering prince turned murderer turns shepherd and challenges the greatest ruler of the world. Where a, a barren couple become parents of two nations. Where a shepherd boy becomes king. Where the unplanned son of unmarried teenage refugees becomes the savior of the world that nobody was expecting.
And it's in this upside-down world that you and I are invited to be the light of the world. Because light drives away darkness. Light brings comfort. Light brings life. This morning, we're going to have prayer workers on the sides. And no matter where you are with Jesus, they are there for you. Maybe you know Jesus, but you lost your sense of awe. Go pray with them. Maybe this is the first time you've ever even considered the fact there might be something more to this world than what you're, what you're doing every day. Go pray with them. Maybe some of you, you, you're honest with yourselves and you're like, I have been trying to fix myself. I haven't really said yes to Jesus and allowed him to cure my spiritual blindness. Go pray with him. Let me pray. Father God, thank you this morning for this space to worship you, to be in community together to be challenged by your word and by the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that, that you would just continue your work in us as we leave here today. Father, that, that we don't let this just be an hour, but Father, we let this continue on and your spirit do his work. Father, thank you. Thanks for being here this morning. Thanks for meeting us here, for challenging us, for drawing us into your throne room inviting us into your upside-down kingdom. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.